John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, here we are at the end of an election week. We've seen yet again the enormous energy and resources that are poured into an election campaign. Vast amounts of money spent on advertising policies, manifestos launched with great fanfare, interviews and press conferences abound, photo opportunities galore. No expense spared to press forward at the campaign of the leader of your choice. Here we are tonight, remembering a very different public figure with a very different campaign strategy. Because let's face it, if you wanted to launch a brand new, worldwide movement of people, if you had the intention of of reaching every corner of our globe with your message, this isn't really the way that you would do it, is it? Because what would you do? You'd you'd head to the big city uh, where all the people of influence are. You'd recruit for yourself uh, important people, raise funds, make connections, a massive launch event. You'd never have dreamt of doing it like this in an obscure rural setting, in a dirty stable smelling of manure and urine, and choosing as your leader a man with no family connections, no wealth, no links to the people in power, and yet it worked. Because here we are, 2,000 years later, gathered to sing the praises of this man. Here we are in a world where the vast majority of the people on the face of the globe have heard of him. 
and a third of them follow him. Jesus may have done none of the things that you would imagine would make him that successful, that well-known. No education, never wrote a book, never produced any artwork, never traveled more than 200 miles from the place of his birth. Just three short years of public ministry. But although Jesus never wrote a song, Bach and Mozart wrote the most stunning music inspired by him. Jesus never created a work of art, but Michelangelo, Salvador Dali, and da Vinci produced exquisite images of him. Jesus never wrote a book, but writers like Tolstoy and Dickens and Milton were inspired to write some of the finest literature the world has seen. Well might we sing how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. It was all so low-key, so understated. And yet Jesus Christ has shaped history like no other character before him or since. Why is that? What is it about this man that has had the impact that we now see? Well, well, the answers are here uh, in the verses that we've just heard read that are printed on the back of your service order from the very opening part of John's account of the life of Jesus. Because whereas the other gospel writers, they tell us the events, uh, the shepherds, the stars, the stable and all that, John doesn't have any of that for us. Because while the other gospel writers are telling us what happened, John is concerned to tell us what it meant. They tell us what, he tells us why. And just for a few minutes, I'd love us to see what he has to say by focusing just on one little phrase. There in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's an odd title, isn't it? The Word. Strange way to describe Jesus. What what does he mean? We get words, don't we? Words communicate things. They reveal stuff. If I were to say I've had no word from him, then you would understand that I'm in the dark. I don't know. I can't tell because no word has come from him. So I remain ignorant. Words let us know. They reveal stuff to us. And this is a word that reveals God. That becomes clear when we notice the words with which John's account opens. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's it's a statement of the most ultimate access, isn't it? I mean, if you wanted the gen on one of the political leaders of the day, you'd want to get on the inside, wouldn't you? Someone from the inner circle. Someone who was sat there at the table uh, when the manifesto was created, when the campaign strategy was put together. Somebody who'd been alongside that leader all the way through. Uh, Then you'd get the inside story. Well, John is telling us that this Jesus, 
was alongside God from the very beginning. Actually, the words press us further than that, don't they? Uh, Not just that this Jesus was alongside God, a companion to God. No, the words press us into the mystery of the Trinity. This word was God, is God. So, of course, he makes God known. But, But notice the way that he does it. We're told that the word became flesh. The word became soft, human. The word became knowable, touchable, even in the end, killable. In a moment, we're going to sing our final carol, and tucked into it will be some famous words. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. I mean, and they're slightly funny words, um, and it's a funny meaning as well. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. It kind of seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because normally a veiling obscures, doesn't reveal, but here's a veiling that helps us to see. Not quite what a veil does. A veil covers something up. Think of a bride on a wedding day. Uh, arrives at the front of the church with her veil in place. Well, that's the point at which the veil gets removed. I wasn't able to quite check, but, but I think legally I'm not allowed to marry someone until the veil has been removed at the wedding ceremony. And I think that's so that the groom knows that he's marrying the right woman, which you'd understand is a pretty key thing. But, but here is a veil that reveals rather than hides. Think of it like this. Suppose I were to ask you to to look at the sun. Good idea? No, bad idea. What would you see? You'd you'd see a, a blazing, dazzling light for a moment or two before the sun did what it does and burns your retina out so you won't see much anymore for a while. We're not capable of gazing at the sun. It's too dazzling, too brilliant, too bright. If we want to look at the sun, then we have to put a filter in place, something that allows us to see the sun. But once we've done that, once we get the filter in place, well, then you can see. Then you can see the fire bursts bursting out from the surface of the sun. Well, it's the same here. God also is too brilliant too dazzling, too holy for us to gaze upon him. We too need a filter, and Jesus is that filter. God veils himself in flesh in order that we might be able to see him, in order that we might be able to know him. Come at it another way. Um, If God exists, and he does... Then, then he is the creator, and we are his creatures in the world that he has made. Which means that, that we're located down here in what he's created, but he is located out there, beyond the creation that he has created. So, just think about it for a moment. How would we ever find him? Because we're down here in the creation. He stands outside creation. How would we find him down here? 
It would be something like, I suppose, um, Hamlet trying to find Shakespeare. Not an easy thing, because he's trapped in the play. And Shakespeare wrote it. I suppose Shakespeare could, if he wanted to, include a few hints to his existence. You know, sort of weave them into the plot somehow. But, but much more than that. Suppose Shakespeare wrote himself into the play. Suppose Shakespeare gave himself a character in the very drama of the play. And now Hamlet could meet Shakespeare. Do you see what the incarnation means that God has done? Do you see what it means we are remembering here today? That in that stable, in the incarnation, in the stable, the enfleshing of God was taking place. God making himself approachable, encounterable, knowable. That's what makes Christmas huge. Apparently back in 1969, uh, at the time of the first lunar landing, uh, the White House hosted a grand reception uh, where uh, the President Richard Nixon uh, was there and lots of very, uh, the great and the good uh, at the event. Uh, and they were watching uh, the images beamed back from the moon. And at the moment that, that the, finally the great moment came and, and Neil Armstrong took that first step onto the surface of the moon, apparently Richard Nixon was so overcome with the excitement of the moment. He said, this is the greatest day since the creation of the world. Now, it so happened that, that stood alongside was Billy Graham, uh, the world-famous evangelist. Uh, and the story goes that, I, I won't do the southern drawl, but, but the story goes that Billy Graham just leant over and said, Mr. President, I think you may have forgotten the incarnation. <laughs> Which is a fair point, isn't it? I mean, you, you get what he's saying. I mean, it is a big thing to get a human being up onto the moon. But it is a colossally bigger thing to find that the Creator God has been brought down and set foot on the earth. The reason it's so big is because it makes relationship with God possible. See, when John says that the Word became flesh, he isn't just telling us that that Jesus delivers some information for us about God. It'd be easy to think that, that by calling Jesus the Word, that's what he means. But it goes much further than that. If all that Jesus was doing was delivering us some information about God, then being a Christian would just be about accumulating data, learning bits of information about God. But that's not what it is. This is personal. Because Jesus was personal. He became flesh so that we could meet him, encounter him, enter into relationship with him. That is God's great gift to mankind. The trouble is we don't always respond to gifts quite as we should. I was hearing recently about um, some suggested ideas of ways we can respond 
uh, when the gift that we get given on Christmas Day isn't really something we're terribly impressed with. Um, you can try these out if you like, but, but don't do it if it's given to you by somebody here. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, the moment comes, you unwrap it. Oh, Mary, you shouldn't have. Or Mike, I really don't deserve this. <laughs> or how about this one? Oh, Sue, that is a gift. <laughs> or Simon... You've done it again. (laughs) Now, strange as it may seem, sometimes the responses that we make to this gift from God aren't really much better. Did you notice the, the phrase slightly earlier in our passage? When speaking of Jesus the Word, John tells us that he was in the world And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. I don't suppose it happens quite so much now, but apparently over the years, when the queen was up at Balmoral, uh, it wasn't unusual for her to to pop on a headscarf and a coat and go out for a walk uh, with her protection officer um, uh, in, uh, in the countryside around Balmoral. Well, apparently, according to one of the protection officers, on one occasion she was out incognito like that when a group of American tourists came by. And they paused and stopped and asked her if she lived locally. (laughs) She said, I do have a house nearby. Well then, they said, have you ever met the Queen? (laughs) No, the Queen replied. I've never met her. But, she said, pointing at her protection officer, he has. (laughs) And with that, she disappeared off into the distance, leaving the American tourists excitedly interrogating the protection officer. It would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? On a much, much bigger scale. To be that close to God and fail to recognize him to pass him by. But but that is exactly what John is saying happens. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. It would be tragic to, to be excited about Christmas, even to know all of the details about Christmas, and to miss out on encountering the very person that Christmas is actually all about. But, but unless you and I see that this is personal, unless we see that this is about relationship, that's exactly what can happen. But it's not how it's supposed to happen. Look, look at the next phrase. But to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what Christmas is about. That personal encounter, a personal encounter with God in Jesus Christ. And none of us should miss this. Whether we've been around Christian things for decades, or whether you're brand new to it tonight, wherever we are in that, all of us need to see that Christmas is about a personal relationship with God, about the reality of encountering him in Christ. I honestly don't know how to, 
how to capture this. It's such an extraordinary thing that is being said here. I guess it would be like the Queen not just being willing to engage with those tourists in a bit of conversation. It would be about her inviting them back to Balmoral. Now, it would be even more than that, wouldn't it? It would be inviting them back to Balmoral and, and welcoming them into her very family. I mean, it's an extraordinary idea that is being said here. To those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God in personal relationship with him. Don't be fascinated with less than that. Because you can, can't you? You could just be fascinated by Christmas. Fascinated and interested by the Christian message. Fascinated and interested even in Jesus himself. And fail to see that more than that is being offered here. More than that is being asked of here. Not just to encounter Christianity, but to encounter Christ. To meet God in Christ. Here at Christ Church, we love to find ways of helping one another to do that. So it's a comeback any Sunday. And that's the business that we'll be about. Trying to help one another to encounter God in Christ. Or if you're impatient, can't wait till next Sunday, uh, then uh, pick up one of these uh, little books downstairs. I think the great thing about it is that at the very end of this little book, which says more than I've had a chance to tonight, there are words that we could speak back to God. See, he's spoken to us. The word became flesh. Be strange, wouldn't it, not to speak words back to him? And this book would give you a first step in trying to work out what those words might be. Well, we are going to sing our final carol now. Uh, Look out for that line. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity.